Welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. One astrophysicist has said the following words, quote, Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. Consider the enormousness of the problem. Science has proved that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asks what cause produced this effect, or what, who or what put the matter and energy into the universe. And science cannot answer these questions. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason... The story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been there for centuries. This uh, introduces us to our topic today, which is going to be obviously about science and the Bible. And I think that for the most part, when we think of science in the Bible— we tend to think that these are two irreconcilable, hostile perspectives. And yet, I don't think that they are opposed to one another. Science and the Bible, I believe, are in perfect agreement. What I do believe, however, are in opposition to one another, uh, is the Bible and the interpretations given to us by scientists. And so what I'm suggesting here is that there is a difference between truth and our flawed in, uh, human interpretation of that truth. Uh, in his book uh, entitled The Limitations of Scientific Truth, Nigel Brush warns us of four popular false premises, and here they are. Number one, scientists are completely objective in their interpretation of scientific facts. Number two, Scientific methodology is totally rational. Number three, scientific truths are superior to religious or philosophical truths. Number four, scientific truths have generally disproved the existence of God. And what I find interesting is that today's generation looks into history and can easily see where science was biased. But when it comes to today, we somehow think that we are completely objective and unbiased. Brush gives us, uh, in his book, an account of the science of craniometry, which was popular during the 19th century. This was uh, the thinking uh, in, in science, quote-unquote, that brain size and shape were directly correlated to intelligence. And so uh, an individual by the name of Samuel Morton, who, uh, by the way, had two medical degrees, collected and studied over 1,000 skulls. And Morton measured the volume of these skulls by filling them with lead shot. And uh, long story short, uh, he came to the quote-unquote scientific conclusion that whites had the largest average cranial capacity, followed by Native Americans, followed by blacks. And he concluded that whites, therefore, were the most advanced quote-unquote, race. Uh, Brush, in his book, which is accounting this story, he reveals to us 
uh, five major flaws in Morton's studies. Uh, number one, he omitted skulls that ran counter to his theories. Number two, he failed to take into account the correlation between body size and brain size. People with larger bodies have larger brains. Number three, he failed to take into account the fact that males have larger bodies and thus larger brains than do females. Number four, he rounded numbers upwards when they favored Caucasians. And number five, he rounded numbers downward when they favored non-Caucasians. Uh, it's obvious today, when we look at this list, when we look at his supposed science, it's obvious that this is not science. And I think it reveals to us a deeply ingrained bias in this man's life, as well as a bias that existed deep within that culture. The culture of the day was largely a racist culture. And by the way, this kind of supposed science and this kind of uh, racist thinking is closely tied to evolution as a worldview, uh, and Hitler did demonstrate that for us very clearly. Um, but in his book, later, Brush comments uh, and says this, quote, they were so blinded by their cultural bias that they could only see what everyone expected them to see. That's a telling quote uh, for me. Uh, I would submit to us that this statement is no less true for us today. You know, the, especially that last part. They could only see what everyone expected them to see. What uh, supposed scientific discoveries uh, are we making today that will be laughed at 100 years from now? I'm not lamenting the fact so much that we do look at the world through a bias. We do look at the world through the lens of our presuppositions. Uh, what I do want to lament, however, is the fact that we typically don't know that we look at the world through those various lenses. Uh, we never uh, subject our presuppositions and our biases to be tested and scrutinized. Rather, we typically just accept them to be true. And the same is true in the scientific community today. Scientists regularly exclude contrary evidence according to their biases and their presuppositions. Just, just take a few examples. Um, there's 50-year-old uh, lava flows in New Zealand uh, that were recently dated by scientists. Uh, using radiometric uh, dating, and they were shown to be up to 3.5 million years old. Uh, comets, another example, are incompatible with an old Earth because they can only last at maximum 100,000 years. Um, another one, how is it possible that uh, layers of sedimentary rock in the Grand Canyon that are supposedly millions of years old are folded rather than fractured? And then uh, maybe one more here. How can genetic mutations be the engine of evolution when not one mutation has ever been observed to add new information? These are, are serious uh, flaws within an old earth evolutionary framework. Uh, if your response to those objections, to any of those objections, is, oh, well, I'm certain there's an explanation for that somewhere. Someone has an answer, or there must be something. Even if no one has an answer, certainly there's something out there uh, that we don't know about yet. If that's your response, then you are not seeing your own bias. And that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. The point that I'm making is that whenever we see data that contradicts our own perspective, instead of looking for an explanation, we just dismiss it arbitrarily. We just say, oh, well, that, that it doesn't fit, get rid of it. Um, 
if you believe in an old earth or you believe in evolution, uh, upon what basis can you dismiss that kind of information? Here's why that information is dismissed, I'll tell you. Most people believe that first comes the evidence and then comes the worldview. In other words, I went out into the world, I unbiasedly evaluated all the evidence, and based on that evidence, I came up with a worldview. I would submit to us that it's actually the exact opposite. First comes the worldview, and then comes the evidence. In other words, what we do is we first come to embrace our presuppositions and our worldview, in this case evolution and old earth, and then secondly, we try and make the evidence fit. And I would submit that we very rarely call our most foundational presuppositions into question. Now, I would not be very honest if I did not say that the Christian does the very same thing. Uh, one example that comes to mind is distant starlight. Uh, that's a challenge to the young earth position. Uh, but in either case, what the believer or the unbeliever does when they're faced with contrary evidence, quote-unquote, is that they appeal to their worldview as being able to account for it, even if they can't explain it. Oh, there must be some evidence out there somewhere. So in the example of the comets, um, those who would propose an old Earth have suggested that there's something out there called an Oort cloud, uh, which is where new comets are generated. There's no evidence for an Oort cloud. It's never been observed. Uh, it's just uh, what what some people have called a rescuing device. Uh, when there's something that your world you cannot account for, uh, you, you employ a rescuing device uh, to try to make an account for them. But ultimately, they're going to go back to their worldview. They're going to fall back onto their worldview. That's where the appeal is made. That's where they fall back onto and so if that's the case, then we've got to have good reasons for believing in our worldview. Uh, and I think that if we are ever going to resolve the tension that exists, um, and I would submit the supposed tension that exists between science and the Bible, uh, we're going to have to switch our conversation to this presupposition level. In other words, all these little random facts out there um, are, are good and they're helpful, but ultimately, from a worldview perspective, we're going to have to get deeper uh, than that. Uh, in other words, can our presuppositions uh, give an account for the most basic things that we take for granted? Can they give an account for the uniformity of nature? Can they give an account for the invariant laws of logic? And of course, I believe that Christianity is up to the task. I believe Christianity is completely compatible with science. But that is not accomplished by altering the Bible and accepting the fallible interpretations of man. It's accomplished by recognizing your biases and trusting the word of the one who was there when everything was created. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. What source of authority is trustworthy? I've already argued in a previous podcast why I believe the Bible is authoritative and why it's trustworthy. So I'm not going to rehash that, that here now. You can go listen to that. But modern science, and specifically by that, I mean the modern interpretation of science is changing faster than we can keep up. Um, and more often than not, evidenced by Morton's work, science is driven by culture rather than culture being driven by science. 
I would propose to us that we are a fickle people. We find what we like and we make it fit, even if it doesn't make sense. It's called self-deception. Psychology calls it cognitive dissonance, and we all do it to some degree. How much of what has been given to us by the scientific community is credible? How much of it can be trusted and how many of the textbooks will be rewritten after we're dead and gone? I'm not trying to undermine everything that we believe. I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not thinking that, you know, all these scientists are are laughing behind closed doors saying, oh boy, we really pulled the wool over their eyes. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that, that we all have biases and we all have frameworks that where we exclude contrary evidence uh, I'm grateful for the science and the contributions that it's made to, to society, but I do want to recognize that science, too, just like any other discipline, is subject to bias and prejudice. And when I see areas of conflict between science and the Bible, I'm going with the Bible every time. As someone has once said, he has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been there for centuries. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at Crossview.